Book Five, Chapter Ten of the History of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book Five, Chapter Ten: The Abomination of Desolation. Sullenly, persistently, the rain came down. In the harbour, the wash was just sufficient to make the ravelled fruit baskets, the shredded vegetables, the crusts and offal thrown out from the galleys, heave and sway upon the oily surface of the water, while screaming gulls dropped greedily upon the floating refuse, and rising, circled over the black liquid lanes and open spaces between the hulls of the many ships. But it was insufficient to lift the yacht, tied up to the southern quay of the Porto Grande. She lay there inert and in somewhat sorry plight under the steady downpour. For the moment, all the winsome devilry of a smart, sea-going craft was dead in her, and she sulked, ashamed through all her eight hundred tons of wood and iron, copper, brass and steel. For she was coaling over deck, and was grimy from stem to stern, while arrayed in the cast clothes of all Europe, tattered, undersized, and gesticulating, the human scum of Naples swarmed up the steep, narrow planks from the inky lighters and in over her side. "'Beastly dirty job, this. Shan't get her paint clean under a week,' the first mate grumbled to his companion, the second mate, a dark-haired, dreamy-eyed West Country lad, but just out of his teens. The two officers, in dripping oilskins, stood at the gangway, checking the tally of coal-baskets as they came on board. Just now there was a pause in the black procession, as an empty lighter sheared off, making room for a full one to come alongside, thus rendering conversation momentarily possible. "'Pity the boss couldn't have stayed on shore till we were through with it and cleaned up a bit,' the speaker continued makes the old man no end waxy to have anyone on board when the yacht's like she is i don't blame him she's as neat and pretty as a white daisy in a green pasture when she's away to sea and now poor little soul she's a regular slut i know i'd have stayed ashore fast enough if i was a boss the boy said half wistfully that villa of his is like a piece of poetry i keep on saying over to myself how it looks oh it's not so bad for foreign parts the senior officer replied and you're young yet and soft pemberthy you'll come of that presently england's best for houses town and country and most other things women and fights and even sunshine for when you do get sunshine at home there's no spite in it hey there you ganger he shouted suddenly and resentfully leaning out over the bulwarks hurry em up a bit can't you you don't suppose i mean to stand here till the second anniversary of the day of judgment watching your blithering chicken shanked macaroni suck rotten oranges do you start em up again whatever are you waiting for man start em up i say the boy's dreamy eyes full of unwritten verse dwelt with a curious indifference upon the broken procession of ascending black figures 
he had but lately joined and to him both the fine vessel and her owner were invested with a certain romance what was the fancy for calling the yacht the reprieve he asked presently wait till you've had the chance to take a good look at sir richard and you'll answer your question yourself the other man answered oracularly then he broke out again into sustained invective hold up there you little fool of a tightrope dancing bella napoli gorilla and don't go dropping good honest welsh steam coal overboard into your confounded stinking local sewer i don't care to see any of your blamed posturings don't flatter yourself hold up you grimacing great grandson of a lousy she-ape can't you and walk straight take him all round sir richard carmod is the best boss i ever sailed with one of the sternest but the civilest too oh shove em along ganga will you shove em along i say he's one of the few men i've loved i'm not ashamed to say it mr pemberthy and about the only one i ever remember to have feared in my life meanwhile if the scene to seaward was cheerless that to landward offered but small improvement for the murk of low brooding cloud and falling rain blotted out the castel sant'elmo and the capo di monte and pizza falcone heights even the castello dell'ovo down on the shoreline comparatively near at hand loomed up but a denser mass of indigo grey amid the all-obtaining greyness the tall multicoloured many-shuttered houses fronting the quays restaurants cafes money-changers bureaus ships chandlers and slop-shops looked tawdry and degraded as a clown's painted face seen by daylight thick malodorous vapours arose from the squalid streets lying back on the level and from the crowded shipping of the port these hung in the stagnant air about the forest of masts and the funnels of steamers and the noise of the place was as that of bedlam let loose the long-drawn chattering rush of the coal pitched from the baskets down the echoing iron chutes the grate and scream of saws cutting through blocks of stone and marble the grind of heavy wheels upon the broken irregular flags the struggling clatter of hoofs lashing of whips and squeals of mules savage voices raised in cries and imprecations the clank and roar of machinery the repeated bellowing of a great liner blowing off steam as she took up her berth in the outer harbour the shattering rattle of the chains of a steam crane when the monster iron arm swung around seeking or depositing its burden and the crank ran out in harsh anger as it seemed and defiance and through all this as undercurrent the confused clamour of the ever-shifting ever-present crowd and the small steady drip of the rain squalid sordid brutal even the coarse actualities of her trade and poverty alike disclosed her fictions and her foulness uncondoned by reconciling sunshine naples had declined from radiant goddess to common drab it was in this character that richard carmody driving yesterday and for the first time through the streets at noon had been fated to see his so fondly idealised city 
it was in this character that he apprehended it again to-day waiting in his deck cabin until cessation of the rain and oncoming of the friendly dusk should render it not wholly odious to sit out on deck the hours lagged and even this bright and usually spotless apartment with its shining white walls its dark blue leather and polished mahogany fittings the coal dust penetrated it rhymed the edge of the books neatly ranged on the racks it smirched the charts laid out on the square locker table below it drifted in at the cabin windows along with the babel of sound and the all-pervading stench of the port this was in itself sufficiently distasteful sufficiently depressing and to richard just now the disgust of it came with the heightened sensibility of physical illness and as accompaniment to an immense private shame and immense self-condemnation a conviction of outlawry and a desolation passing speech he looked for comfort for promise of restoration and found none in things material or things intellectual in others or in himself for his mind always prone to apprehend by images rather than by words and to advance by analogy rather than by argument discovered in surrounding aspects and surrounding circumstance a rather hideously apt parable and illustration of its present state just as this seemingly fair city was proven on intimate acquaintance repulsive beyond the worst he had ever feared and earnestly refused to know of it so a certain fair woman upon whom since boyhood his best most chivalrous most unselfish affections had centred was proven oh, herself moreover flagrantly contributing to that proving proven vile beyond all that rumour heard and passionately denied by him had ever ventured to whisper concerning her nor was the misery of this revelation lessened by the knowledge that his own part in it all had been very base he had sinned before he would sin again probably richard had long ceased to regard these matters from a strictly puritanic standpoint but this particular sinning was different to any that had gone before or which could come after it for it partook so at least it now appeared to him of the nature of sacrilege since he had sinned against his ideal degrading that to gross uses which he had agreed with himself to hold sacred defiling it and thereby very horribly defiling himself and this disgrace of their relation his own and hers the inherent abomination of it all and its inherent falsity had been forced home on him with a certain violence of directness just in the common course of daily happenings for among the letters brought to him along with his first breakfast yesterday after that night of secret license had been three of serious import one was from lady calmedy and that he put aside with a certain anger calling himself unwilling knowing himself unfit to read it another he tore open the handwriting was unknown to him he began reading it in bewilderment then he understood monsieur it ran you are in process of exterminating me but since i have reason to believe that no sufficient opportunity has been afforded you of realizing the enormity of your conduct i rally the profoundness and nobility which i discover within me i calm myself i go further i explain 
living in retirement you may not have learned that i am in naples i followed your cousin here madame de valorbe my connection with her represents the supreme passion of my passionate youth at once a frenzy and an anodyne i have found in it the inspiration of my genius in its later development this work must not be put a stop to it is too majestic it is weighted with too serious consequences to the whole of thinking france of thinking europe a less experienced woman cannot satisfy the extravagance of my desires the demands of my all-consuming imagination the reverence with which a person such as yourself must regard commanding talent the concessions he must be willing to make to its necessities are without limit this i cannot doubt that you will admit the corollary is obvious either monsieur you will immediately invite me to reside with you at your villa thereby securing for yourself daily intercourse with a nature of distinguished merit or you will restore madame de valorbe to me without hesitation or delay her devotion to me is absolute how could it fail to be so since i have lavished upon her the treasures of my extraordinary personality but a fear of insular prejudice on your part withholds her at this moment from full expression of that devotion she suffers as well as myself it will be your privilege to put a term to this suffering by requesting me to join her or by restoring her to me to do otherwise will be to prolong the eclipse of my genius and thereby outrage the conscience of civilised humanity which breathlessly awaits the next utterance of its chosen poet if you require the consolation of feminine society marry it would be very simple some white-souled english miss but restore to me to whom her presence is indispensable this woman of regal passions i shall present myself at your house to-day to receive your answer in person the result of a refusal on your part to receive me will be attended by calamitous consequences to yourself accept monsieur the expression of my highest consideration paul auguste d'estonnel for the moment richard saw red mad with rage at the insolence of the writer and then came the question was it true this which the letter implied had helen indeed lied to him and notwithstanding its insane vanity did this precious epistle give a more voracious account of her relation to the young poet than that which she had herself volunteered he tried to put the thought from him who was he to-day of all days to be nice about the conduct of another who was he to sit in judgment so he turned to his correspondence again taking another letter at random from the pile and then looking at the superscription he turned somewhat sick mon cher wrote m de valorbe my steward informs me that he has just received your draft for a quarter's rent of the villa i thank you a thousand times for your admirable punctuality decidedly you are one of those with whom it is a consolation to do business 
need i assure you that the advent of this money is far from inopportune since a grateful country while showering distinctions upon me with one hand with the other picks my pocket i find it not a little expensive this famous military service but then ever since i can remember i have found all that afforded me the slightest active pleasure equally that and this sport of war i promise you is the most excellent sport in which i have as yet participated it satisfies the primitive instincts more thoroughly than even your english fox-hunting a battue of communards is obviously superior to a battue of pheasants <laughs> to the dignity of killing one's fellow-men is added the satisfaction of ridding oneself of vermin it becomes a matter of sanitation and self-respect and this indirectly recalls to me that report declares my wife to be with you at naples oh, mon cher je vous en fais cadeau with you at least i know that my honour is safe you may even instil into her mind some faint conception of the rudiments of morality to be frank with you she needs that a couple of months ago she did me the honour to elope temporarily of course with monsieur paul d'estenel you may have glanced one day at his crapulous verses i suppose honour demanded that i should pursue the guilty pair and account for one if not both of them but i was too busily engaged with my little communards we set these gentry up against a wall and dispose of them in batches i've had a good deal of this but as i say it has not yet become monotonous traits of individual character lend it vivacity and then putting aside the exigencies of my profession i do not know that anything is to be gained by inviting public scandal you have an english proverb to the effect that one should wash one's dirty linen at home this i have tried to do as you cannot but be aware all along if one has the misfortune to marry messalina one learns to be philosophic a few lovers more or less in that connection what after all does it matter indeed i begin to derive ironical consolation from the fact of their multiplicity the existence of one would have constituted a reflection upon my charms but a matter of ten fifteen twenty ceases to be in any degree personal to myself only i object to destournel he is too young too rococo he represents a descent in the scale i prefer des hommes generals ministers and princes the devil knows we've had our share of such your generosity to her has saved us from jews so far and from nouveau riche by relieving the business of commercial aspects give her some salutary advice therefore mon cher and if she becomes inconvenient forward her to paris i forgive to seventy times seven being still proud enough to struggle after an appearance of social and conjugal decency enfin it is a relief to have unburdened myself for once and you have been the good genius of my unfortunate menage for which heaven reward you yours in true cousinly regard and supreme reliance on your discretion luigi angelo francesco de valorbe 
that this in any case had a stamp of sincerity upon it richard could not doubt it must be admitted that he had long ceased to accept madame de valorbe's estimate of her husband with unqualified belief but be that as it might whether he were a consummate or merely an average profligate one thing was certain that this man trusted him richard calmady and that he richard calmady had very vilely betrayed that trust he stared at the letter and certain sentences in it seemed to sear him even as the branding iron used on a felon might this was a new shame different to and greater than any his deformity had ever induced in him even as evil done is different to and greater than evil suffered morality may be relative only and conventional honour for all persons of a certain standing and breeding remains absolute and it was precisely of his own honour that he had deprived himself not only in body but in character he was henceforth monstrous for a while richard had remained very still looking at this thing into which he had made himself as though it were external and physically visible to him then suddenly he had reached out his hand for his mother's letter a decision of great moment was impending he would know what she had to say before finally making that decision he wondered bitterly grimly whether her words would plunge him yet deeper in this abyss of self-hatred and self-contempt my darling she wrote i am foolishly glad to learn that you are back at naples it gives me comfort to know you are even thus much nearer home and in a country where i too have travelled and of which i retain many dear and delightful recollections you may be surprised perhaps to see the unaccustomed address upon my note-paper and may wonder what has made me guilty of deserting my post and now since the worst of it is certainly over i may tell you that my health has failed a good deal of late nothing of a really serious nature you needn't be alarmed about me but i had got into a rather weak and unworthy state from which it became very desirable i should rouse myself selfishness is insidious but none the less reprehensible because it takes the apparently innocent form of sitting in a chair with one's eyes shut however that best of men john knott brought very bracing influences to bear on me convincing me of sin in the gentlest way in the world by means of honoria st quentin and so i picked myself up dear dicky picked the whole of myself up as i hope always saving and accepting my self-indulgent inertia and came away here to ormiston at first i confess i felt very much like a dog at a fair or the proverbial mummy at a feast but they all bore with me in the plenty of their kindness and in the last week i have banished the mummy and trained the scared dog to altogether polite and pretty behaviour till i came back to it i hardly realised how truly i loved this place how should it be otherwise i met your father first here after his third term at eton i remember he snubbed me roundly i met him again the year before our marriage without vanity i declare that then he snubbed me not one little bit <laughs> these things are very far away but to me though far away 
they're very vivid and very lovely i see them as you when you were small so often pleaded to see a fairy landscape by looking through the large end of the golden tortoise-shell spy-glass upon my writing-table all of which may seem to you somewhat childish and trivial but i grow an old woman and have a fancy for toys and tender make-believes such as fairy landscapes seen through the big end of a spy-glass the actual landscape at times is a trifle discouragingly rain-washed and cloudy roger and mary are here their two boys are just gone back to school again they're fine courteous fearless little fellows roger makes a rather superb middle-aged man he has much of my father your grandfather's reticence and dignity indeed he might prove slightly alarming was one not so perfectly sure of him dear creature mary remains as of old the most wholesome and helpful of women oh, yes it is good to dwell for a time among one's own people and i cannot but rejoice that my eldest brother has come to an arrangement by which at his death your uncle william will receive a considerable sum of money in lieu of the property this last will go direct to roger and eventually to his boys if your uncle william had a son the whole matter would be different but i own it would hurt me that in the event of his death there would be no ormiston at ormiston after these many generations in all probability the place would be sold immediately moreover for it is an open secret that through no fault of his own poor man william is sadly embarrassed in money matters and he has other sorrows of a rather terrible nature since they are touched with disgrace but here you will probably detect a point of prejudice so i had better stop i look out upon a grey northern sea where the white horses fume and fret under a cold grey northern sky the oaks in the park are just thickening with yellow-green buds and there close to my window perched on a topmost twig a missel-thrush is singing facing the wind like a gentleman you look out upon a purple sea i suppose beneath clear skies and over orange trees and palms i wonder if any brave bird pipes to you as my stormcock to me it brings up one's courage to hear his song so strong and wild and sweet in the very teeth of the gale too but now you will have had enough of my news and more than enough i write to you more freely you see than for a long time past being myself more free of spirit and therefore i dare add this in all and every case my darling god keep you and remember should you weary of wandering that not only the doors of brockhurst but the doors of my heart stand forever wide open to welcome you home yours always k c reading which gentle yet in a sense daring words richard's shame took on another complexion but one by no means calculated to mitigate the burning of it his treachery towards de Valorbes became almost vulgar and of small moment besides his cruelty to this superbly magnanimous woman his mother for all these years determinately and of set purpose defiant of every better impulse 
he had hardened his heart against her to differ from her to cherish that which was unsympathetic to her to put aside every tradition in which she had nurtured him to love that which she condemned and to condemn that which she loved and this if silently yet unswervingly had been the ruling purpose of his action that which had had its origin in passionate revolt against his own unhappy disfigurement had come to be an interest and object in itself in this quarrel with her a quarrel intimate prenatal anterior to consciousness and to volition he found the justification of his every lapse his every crookedness of conduct and of thought since he could not reach almighty god and strike at the eternal first cause which he held responsible for the inalienable wrong done to him he would strike with cold-blooded persistence at the woman whom almighty god had permitted to be his instrument in the infliction of that wrong and to where had that sustained purpose of striking led him even so he judged just now to the dishonour and desolation of to-day following upon the sacrilegious licence of last night all this richard saw with the alternately groping benumbed mental vision and the glaring mental nakedness of breeding fever small wonder that looking for comfort for promise of restoration he found none in things material in things intellectual in others or in himself he felt outcasted beyond hope of redemption but not repentant hardly remorseful even only aware of all that had happened and of his own state for lady carmody's letter was to him little more as yet than a placing of facts to trade upon her magnificent generosity of affection and seek refuge in those outstretched arms now with the mark of the branding iron so sensibly upon him appeared to him of all contemptible doings the most radically contemptible obviously it was impossible to go back he must go on rather out of sight out of mind fantastic schemes of disappearing of losing himself far away in remote and nameless places among the coral islands of the pacific or the chill majesty of the antarctic seas offered themselves to his imagination the practical difficulties presented by such schemes their infeasibility did not trouble him he would sever all connection with that which had been with that which had made for good equally with that which had made for evil by his own voluntary act and choice he would become as a man dead the disgrace of his malformed body the closer and more hideous disgrace of his defiled and prostituted soul surviving in legend merely as might some ugly old-time fable useful for the frightening of unruly babies and to that end of self-obliteration he instantly applied himself with outward calm but with the mental hurry and restlessness of increasing illness his first duty was to end the whole matter of his relation to helen helen shorn of her divinity convicted liar and wanton yet mistress still for him as he feared of mighty enchantments so he wrote to her very briefly the note should be given her later in the day in it he stated that he should have left the villa before this announcement reached her left it finally and without remotest prospect of return since he could not doubt that she recognised as he did how impossible it had become that he and she should meet again 
he added that he would communicate with her shortly as to business arrangements that done he summoned powell his valet bidding him to pack he would go down to the yacht at once he had received information which made it imperative that he should quit naples immediately to be out of all this rid of it fairly started on the road of negation of social being negation of recognised existence infected him like a madness but even the most forceful human will must bend to stupidities of detail and of material fact unexpected delays had occurred the yacht was not ready for sea neither cold nor provisioned nor sound of certain small damages to her machinery vanstone the captain might mislay his temper and the first mate expend himself in polysyllabic invective young pemberthy ceased to dream stewards engineers carpenters cooks quartermasters seamen firemen do their most willing and urgent best nevertheless the morning of next day and even the afternoon of it still found richard carmody seated at the locker table of the white-walled deck cabin his voyage towards self-obliteration not yet begun charts were outspread before him upon which at weary intervals he essayed to trace the course of his coming wanderings but his brain was dull he had no power of consecutive thought that same madness of going was upon him with undiminished power yet he knew not where he wanted to go hardly why he wanted to go only that a blind obsession of going drove him he was miserably troubled about other matters too about that same brief letter he had written to helen before leaving the villa he was convinced that he had written such a letter but struggle as he might to remember the contents of it they remained to him a blank he was haunted by the fear that in that letter he had committed some irremediable folly had bound himself to some absurdly unworthy course of action but what it might be escaped him and in escaping tortured him and then oh this surely was friday and morabita sang at the san carlo to-night and surely he had promised to be there and to meet the famous prima donna and sup with her after the performance as in former days at vienna he had not always been quite kind to her poor dear fat good-natured silly soul he couldn't fail her now and then he went back to a chart of the south pacific again only he couldn't see it plainly but saw instead of it the great folio of copper-plate engravings lying on the broad window-seat of the eastern bay of the long gallery at home he was sitting there to watch for the race-horses coming back from exercise tom chiffney pricking along beside them on his handsome cob and the long-ago boyish desperation of longing for wholeness for freedom brought a moistness to his eyes and a lump into his throat and all the while the coal-dust drifted in at each smallest crevice and aperture and the air was vibrant with rasping jarring uproar and nauseous with the stale heavy odours of the city and the port and steadily ceaselessly the descending rain drummed upon the roofing overhead at length a stupor took him his head sunk upon his arms folded upon those outspread charts while the noise of all the rude activities surrounding him subtly transformed itself into that of a great orchestra 
and above this superior to yet nobly supported by it morabita's voice rose in the suave and passionate phrases of the glorious cavatina ernani ernani involami alla borito amplesso yes her voice was as good as ever richard drew a long breath of relief here at least was something true to itself and amid so much of change so much of spoiling still unspoilt he raised his head and listened for something must have happened something of serious moment the orchestra for some unaccountable reason had suddenly broken down yes it must be the orchestra which disaster had overtaken for a voice very certainly continued no not a voice but voices those of vanstone the captain and price the first mate and old billy tin the boatswain loud imperative violently remonstrant but swept under and swamped at moments by cries and volleys of foulest neapolitan argo from hoarse neapolitan throats and that abruptly silenced orchestra richard came back to himself came back to actualities of environment and prosaic fact an infinitely weariful despair seized him for the sound that had reached so suddenly a termination was not that of cunningly attuned musical instruments but the long-drawn chattering rush of the coal pitched from the baskets down the echoing iron chutes the cabin door opened discreetly and powell incarnation of decorous punctualities even amid existing tumultuously discomposing circumstances entered from the villa sir he said depositing letters and newspapers upon the table richard put out his hand and turned them over mechanically for again somehow notwithstanding the babel without that exquisite invitation ernani ernani involami assailed his ears the valet waited a little quiet and deferential in bearing yet observing his master with a certain keenness and anxiety i saw mr bates as you desired sir he said at last richard looked up at him vaguely and it struck him that while powell was on shore to-day he had undoubtedly had his hair cut this interested him though why he would have found it difficult to say mr bates thought you should be informed that a gentleman called early yesterday afternoon as he said by appointment yes certainly powell had had his hair cut um did the gentleman give his name uh, yes sir monsieur paul destonnel powell spoke slowly getting his tongue carefully round the foreign syllables and for all the confusion of his hearer's mind the name went home vagueness passed from richard's glance he was refused of course oh her ladyship had given orders that should any person of that name call he was to be admitted powell spoke with evident reluctance consequently mr bates was uncertain how to act having received contrary orders from you sir the day before yesterday he explained this to her ladyship but she insisted richard's mind had become perfectly lucid very well he said coldly mr bates also thought you should know sir that after m destournel's visit her ladyship announced she should not remain at the villa 
she left about five o'clock taking her maid charles followed with all the baggage the valet paused richard's manner was decidedly discouraging yet something further must at least be intimated her ladyship gave no address to mr bates for the forwarding of her letters but here the cabin door left slightly ajar by powell was opened wide and that with none of the calm and discretion displayed by the functionary in question a long perspective of grimy deck behind him his oilskins shiny from the wet with trim black beard square-made bold-eyed and hot-tempered warm-hearted alert and humorous typical west countryman as his gentle dreamy cousin pemberthy the second mate though of a very different type stood captain vanston his easily ruffled temper suffered from the after-effects of what is commonly known as a jolly row and his speech was curt in consequence thereof sorry to disturb you sir richard he said and still more sorry to disappoint you but it can't be helped richard turned upon him so strangely drawn and haggard a countenance that vanston with difficulty repressed an exclamation he looked in quick inquiry at the valet who so far departed from his usual decorum as to nod his head in assent to the silent questioning what's wrong now richard said why these beggarly rascals have knocked off price offered them a higher scale of pay i'd empowered him to do so but they won't budge the rains washed the heart out of them we've tried persuasion and we've tried threats it's no earthly use not a basket more coal will they put on board before five to-morrow morning and can't we sail with what we've got not enough to carry us to port side what will be the extent of the delay this time richard asked his tone had an edge to it again captain vanston glanced at the valet with luck we may get off to-morrow or about midnight he stepped back and shook himself like a big dog scattering the water off his oilskins in a shower upon the slippery deck then he came inside the cabin and stood near richard his expression was very kindly tender almost you must excuse me sir he said i know it don't come within my province to give you advice but you do look pretty ill sir richard everyone's remarking that and you are ill sir you know it and i know it and mr powell here knows it you ought to see a doctor sir and if you'll pardon plain language this beastly cesspit of a harbour is not a fit place for you to sleep in and poor dicky after an instant of sharp annoyance touched by the man's honest humanity smiled upon him a smile of utter weariness utter homelessness perfectly true get me out to sea then vanston i shall be better there than anywhere else he said whereupon the kindly sailorman turned away swearing gently into his trim black beard but the valet remained impassive in manner actively anxious at heart have you any orders for the carriage sir he asked garcia drove me down i told him to wait until i had inquired richard was long in replying his brain was all confused and clouded again while again he heard the voice of the famous soprano ernani ernani involani yes yes he said at last tell garcia to be here in good time to drive me to the san carlo 
I have an appointment at the opera tonight. End of chapter 10 of book 5